I just want to thank the church while, while I have uh, the privilege of standing up here for, we've been doing a fundraiser last week and this week again for Wildfire to, uh, to raise some funds to send as many young people as we can to Young and Free Conference this year in a couple of weeks. And it's, uh, the, the generosity has been incredible. We have been able to halve the cost of those that are going. We've had some full sponsorships to be able to send some young people there uh, at no cost, some that couldn't afford to go themselves. So it's a real, it's a real blessing for our, our team of youth leaders to just see that there's a, such a great partnership in this church family to support this young generation that's coming through. So uh, we just want to thank you so much. This is certainly not a, a plug to get another coffee today, but you're welcome to. And uh, the coffee will be there this morning and this evening if you want to do that. And uh, we're still just hoping to be able to send some more young people along and, and uh, experience uh, a great time of encountering God because that's really what it comes down to for us as a team. We, we don't see ourselves as an events team running a youth group on a Friday night, but rather we want to see a movement of young people who have a team that lead them that create experiences for them to encounter the presence of God because that's how the only thing we know that really and truly changes lives. It's not how messy a game we can play on a Friday night or how loud the music is. It just seems like every year it gets a bit louder for me. I can't work out why that is, but I tend to find myself getting moving towards the back a little bit further. Uh, but it's not about that for us. It's about creating experiences where young people can encounter God and uh, have their lives changed in that way, which it's really exciting to be in this season at church where we're looking at every day with Jesus. And, and this week is actually week 20. If you see the challenge later, uh, for 20 weeks, we have issued a challenge every Sunday for us to just make a small adjustment in our life throughout that week to, to bring ourselves a little bit closer to walking with Jesus every single day. And who knows that we need to be more like Jesus if we're going to fulfill the, the Great Commission if we're going to be a light in the world, if we're going to be salt to the worlds that we live in, then we really need to be more like Jesus each and every day. And, and so it's been exciting this year as we journey as a church over these 20 different messages that we've looked at so far and take that challenge home every week and just make that little incremental change in our life. Not looking for a big momentous change, but just the little things that we can adjust along the way each and every week. So don't give up on those challenges. I'm not just saying that because it's my week. But just a reminder to us all, after some time, we can, we can get a little bit used to things. And the challenge can kind of just end up in the Bible and not get thought about till next week. But let's not do that. Let's continue to move forward as a church and make those little adjustments every week to be more like Jesus. And we are at the moment looking at prayer, which is really... Really, really uh, like fundamental when you think about it. You know, our walk with, with Christ, our journey with becoming more like Him, prayer has to be the absolute basis for everything that we do. Jesus said in John 15, verse 15, He said, I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slave, which I think is a, a great way to... Um, understand what prayer is about because we don't have this relationship like a servant to a master where we only get told limited information or on a need-to-know basis or just get told an instruction to do 
But rather, we have this two-way conversation that we can have. Jesus says, you're no longer slaves. I don't consider you a slave. In other parts of the Bible, we're even called co-workers and co-laborers. And so prayer is this opportunity that we have to have this conversation with the creator of the universe, the one who knew our path before we were even born, the one who positions us in this world that we're in, that gives us the gifts and talents, who's given us the mission to go. We have this opportunity to have this conversation with him, not just hear and be instructed, but rather have a conversation and a relationship. And that is the basis of what prayer is. Quick thought, have you, um, have you ever fallen into the, you know on smartphones and devices that we have in this modern age that we live in, you know the kids these days getting around with their technology, but have you ever fallen into the trap of autocorrect on your phone when sending a message? Now if you don't know what autocorrect is, it's these, uh, this is why they call them smartphones, it's when you're not, uh, when you're typing something on your phone and perhaps you're busy, you're not paying attention, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing like driving and trying to type a message, uh, you, you're just, you're frustrated, you're cranky, you're doing something and you're not paying attention to your phone so you do a typo and because your phone is a smartphone it tries to predict what the word should have been and it auto-corrects it to something else. It's a a great thing. And uh, the problem is that sometimes when we are busy, distracted, frustrated, cranky, doing something we shouldn't be doing, our phone can auto-correct the message that we were sending and completely change the context or the meaning of what it was meant to be. I don't know if you've ever fallen into that trap and got yourself in trouble with that, but there are entire websites that are dedicated to people showing the way that their phone has auto-corrected their message and changed the context completely. Now, I had hoped that we could start off with a bit of a casual laugh this morning and have a look at them, but the problem is that the ones that most people find funny enough to upload on the internet are very far from being appropriate to show in church. Because the context, yeah... You know what I mean. But you know those times that your phone just wants to change the context, change the word, and, and, and completely misrepresent the message that you're trying to send. It's called autocorrect. It's a crazy thing that we have to put up with. But it happens because we're busy, we're frustrated, we're not paying attention, we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, or we're angry and we're frantically trying to do something and we don't take the time. And by default... It auto-corrects to something that it shouldn't. Well, I was thinking about, you know, in, in the context of prayer, how our human nature is actually to auto-correct our intentions and our message sometimes in life. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but those times, particularly in prayer, when you are busy, frustrated, cranky, not paying attention or doing something that you're not meant to be doing, i.e. the majority of times when we take the time to pray, our prayer so often auto-corrects from the way that Jesus actually instructed it to be and defaults to being about I, 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 me, 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 want, want, want. See, Matthew 6 verse 10, we've heard it already this morning, when Jesus taught us to pray or taught the disciples and, and we being disciples of Christ also, he said, hey, when you pray, this is how I want you to pray. 
Our Father in heaven, I'm going to get King James on you for the moment because that's the way it's kind of ingrained in me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come, my will be done. Well, hang on, no, that's the autocorrect that happens in our life when we are busy, frustrated, tired, not paying attention or doing something we shouldn't do. Just like our phone autocorrects a typo, when we find ourselves in that position, our life autocorrects our prayer to being away from God, your kingdom, your will be done, and brings it back to, let's make it about me. You know, it might just be me, but you know those times when you're praying this prayer and you're saying to God, well, this is what you're really saying between the lines. You're saying, hey God, Adam here. I know you managed to create the entire universe from nothing, but just in case you're not sure what the next step in my life is, here's what I want you to do. That sounds so funny when we talk about it out of context, but the truth is that our life does autocorrect to making our prayers about my kingdom and my will be done. And in those times when we're busy, frustrated, sick, not paying attention or doing something that we shouldn't be doing, it auto-corrects away from being about his kingdom and his will be done in our life. Now, if you don't think this is basic human nature or our sinful nature, as it tells, it, it tells us in the Bible, you just haven't spent enough time around kids. Because if, if, if you've encountered these smaller versions of us that we call kids, you will know that as adults, we often have the maturity... To, to be selfless, not by nature, but by choice, by wisdom, by experience. But kids don't have that. They expose this human nature that we have to make everything about the me world that we live in. We recently have, to our, to our humble abode at home, added a, a brood of chickens to the backyard, which is great. We get fresh eggs every day. We've got nine chickens we get four eggs a day, which means five of them are freeloading. And if I could work out which one it would be, it'd be schnitzel night at our house, but I can't, you know, they all kind of look the same. I have my suspicions and I'm working on it. But we've added these chickens to our backyard, probably not the wisest choice because in our sectioned backyard we have chickens and then in the other half we have our Rhodesian Ridgeback, which if you don't know what a Rhodesian Ridgeback is, it's a small horse that was bred to hunt lions in South Africa. So chickens, lion hunter, it's probably only a matter of time. But we've added these chickens to our, our house and our, our children who expose human nature without maturity to bring it the way that we should bring it, uh, they still see egg collection every morning as a novelty and not yet a chore. So... We had a morning when there was a great argument of whose turn it was to go. So one of them, I won't name her, but the ringleader. <laughs> the, the ringleader of our children, well, she created a timetable and a schedule of who would do chicken duties every morning, but constructed it in such a way that meant once that timetable and schedule was instantly approved, by parents, it meant that she got to go out and collect the eggs that morning. It reminded me of when I was about 15 or 16, my parents bought my brother and I a stereo. And this was crazy. It had double cassette deck, radio, both AM and FM. 
It had a CD tray on top that hold three, held three CDs. Yeah, CDs are kind of like a Blu-ray, but they play music if you're not, if you're not uh, old enough to remember that. But they presented this to us as an early Christmas present and put this stereo in front of us and stood back like David Attenborough and watched as they said, now construct a plan for how you share this. Now, I understand where my daughter gets it from because I straight away constructed a schedule that was week on, week off. That meant that I got to have the stereo for the first week. Thankfully, my parents were just just uh, doing a social experiment and there was a second one. I can see them talking now because they often tell me after these things, I don't even remember that happening. I'm like, well, trust me, it happened. It's ingrained. <laughs> That moment. Um, But yeah, it just showed me, you know, it reminds us that our human nature in our life is always going to default back to this me centered world of making everything about us. And we take that into our prayers with God. Because the reality is, if if I'm going to be honest and we're going to be honest, so often when we do call upon the name of the Lord, it's because we're in a situation of what? We're tired, frustrated, sick doing something we shouldn't do, not paying attention in life, we're angry. And in those moments, that's when our life auto-corrects to being about me, 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 I, 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 want, want, want. The complete opposite of what Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 6 verse 10, where he said it's got to be about his kingdom and his will be done. The reason why he had to actually teach us that is why? Because it's not our natural default in life is to think about other people and to think about God before ourselves. There's a a theologian from, well, there was, because he's he's no longer with us, because he lived in the 1800s. And his name is Soren something. And he said this great quote. Even Wikipedia couldn't tell me how to pronounce it. I clicked the little play button and it just said it. I'm like, I'm not even going to try. So his name was Soran. He was a great guy. And, uh, and he said this quote that the function of prayer is more about changing the prayer than it is about moving God. That prayer, because our default nature is to, to pray for our will and our kingdom, prayer to God is more about adjusting our mindset and our wants to align with God rather than it is about moving God to fit in to what we want him to do. And we're going to have a look at in this mini series within a series at some prayers, some Old Testament uh, heroes who prayed a prayer. And we're going to have a look at that and how that's relevant for us. And we're going to today look at um, a guy named Jacob, who I'm sure we know very well. We first meet Jacob in Genesis 25 when, when he is... Uh, uh, when his parents, who are Isaac and Rebecca, Rebecca's pregnant with twins. And uh, she's having this great kind of struggle, this great turmoil during her labor. And so God says to her, the reason why is because there is already a great struggle, a great wrestle. You're having twins, congratulations. Um, but one, both of them will be the fathers, the leaders of great nations will come out of These two boys, one will be stronger than the other and the younger, the older rather, will serve the younger. 
And so as she gives birth to them, we see this interesting thing happen. And I'm sure you know this story. First Esau comes out and uh, he's, he's the firstborn. And that's very significant in ancient Hebrew culture. It's not like the culture we live in today where uh, if, if the, the parents are promoted to glory, that the, the estate and what's left over is often divided equally among the siblings and things like that. But in ancient Hebrew culture, the firstborn was very significant. They got the biggest share. They got the blessing. They got the leadership of the family. So it was very significant who was born first. So Esau was born first. And in typical Old Testament kind of creativity of naming, they didn't have websites that they could go to and choose baby names or base them on their favorite movie characters or anything. They looked at him and said, he's hairy and he's red. Let's call him Esau. Because that's what it means. But what we find out when we first meet Jacob is the Bible tells us that when he was born, he was clutching the heel of his brother, trying to fight his way as we as we perceive it, to be the firstborn to take the birthright and to take the bigger blessing. And so he gets named as the heel grabber, the supplanter, the deceiver. What a way to start your life, being called that from the moment you were born. Here, here is Jacob. He has this great promise on his life that he does not even yet know about, that he's going to be the father of a great nation, that he is going to be stronger, that he is going to be served by his older brother, And yet even at the point of his birth, his entry into this world, he already is displaying the human nature, that default autocorrect and trying to fight his way to the front when there already is a promise on his life. The next six or so chapters, we follow Jacob's life through Genesis. And and really, if you wanted to give a label to Jacob, you would call him a con man, a deceiver, a manipulator, a thief. A man who was ruled by fear and anxiety. We read that his brother one day came home from from hunting all day out in the field and he was tired. And Jacob was, was at home just preparing a little soup. Something that he... I don't know, saw on Better Homes and Gardens or something, is cooking up a, a little soup. And his brother comes in, he's like, I'm so hungry. I've been working out there all day. You've been sitting around here chopping vegetables. Uh, give me a bowl of your soup. And Jacob says, well, I will give it to you if you give me your right as the eldest son. Yeah, yeah, just give me a bowl of food. And he does that. A little bit later, we see that he, at the time when his father, Isaac, was dying, he had lost his sight. And he called for Esau to give him the blessing and, and to bestow all that upon him as the eldest son. But Jacob, together with his mother, they trick his father into giving him the blessing. He then, for the next many years, escapes, flees from his life, works hard, starts a family. His whole life really comes down to this struggle of trying to fulfill the promise of God in his life, whether he knew about it or not, by trying to make it happen by himself. Jacob was all about his kingdom and his will be done. Jacob's, not God's. He did whatever he could to steal, to manipulate, to take it upon himself, to make it happen in his world. We, uh, we're going to pick up his story in Genesis 32 today. 
And, uh, and, and at this point, Jacob's been away for many years. Apparently, he would be around 97 years old. He's doing pretty well. He's got a couple of families at this point. He's become quite wealthy. And he's heading back to try and reconcile with his brother, trying to make things right. So here's this man who has spent his entire life being the heel grabber, the deceiver, the supplanter, trying to fight his way into God's will and making the promise of God real in his life by doing it by his own strength. And when we find him, he's on his way back after many years of being out there by himself and living this life of fear and anxiety. And the chapter is 32, the verse is 22. It'll be on the screens if you don't have your Bible today. It says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives. That's another sermon. His two servant wives, and that's a whole series, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. Now, I love camping. I do. Probably not by myself, but don't you think it's strange that like if you were out camping and a man just decided to walk through your campsite in the middle of the night, that the first thing that would pop into your head is to challenge him to an all-night wrestling duel? I don't know. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go. Unless you bless me. What is your name? The man replied. He replied, Jacob, I am the heel grabber. I am the deceiver, the manipulator, the con man, the thief. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him from now on, you will be called Israel, which means God prevails, which means God fights for me. What an interesting story, this man who has spent his whole life struggling to do it his way, to take the promise of God into his hands, literally by grabbing the heels of people around him. And it all comes down to this point in his life, this significant change of name, where he goes from being the manipulator, the deceiver, the supplanter, to becoming Israel, the one who God fights for, the one who prevails, the one who we know is the father of the Israelite nation. And it all comes down to this great struggle that he has in the desert. Now, what is that struggle all about? Here he is alone, separated from his family, from all his worldly possessions, in the desert, in the barren place, in the darkest of night, and a struggle breaks out between this man who, we don't know if it was God, if it was an angel, or who it was, but we we do know that it was someone who was sent by God to have this moment with Jacob. Now, whenever I read through a story like this, I can't help but try and visualize how it would have happened. And not, and not just, you know, think about 
what would have been around and what it would look like. But for some reason, my brain wants to turn it into a movie. And I want to think about what would this look like in a movie and think about it from a cinematography point of view. And I love this scene when you imagine in, the, in, a, in a red desert that's barren with rocks and, and nothing else around, maybe a few trees without leaves and it's lit by the moonlight and these two men are wrestling in the dust. And as I'm reading through it, I'm visualizing the wrestle and the holds and the, the struggle that's happening there and the slow motion pans of the camera as the dust gets kicked up and the, the sweat as they wrestle through the night. And, and as I'm visualizing this, I, I see the moment where the man leans over and touches the hip of Jacob and dislocates it. And for some reason, I pictured this, Jacob grabbing his hip with one hand. And with the other hand, the other man is sprawling to get away from him because as he says, let me go and I need to go. Jacob reaches out and grabs him. And he says to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. We meet Jacob in the beginning in Genesis 25 as a man who grabs the heel of another And says, I'm not going to let you go because I need to get past you. I need to take into my hands as the deceiver, the manipulator, the con man. I need to get the promise of God in my life by grabbing your heel. And we journey through almost a hundred years of his life till we find him in this barren, broken place with no family in the middle of the desert in the darkest part of the night when he grabs the heel of yet another man. But this time... He is not trying to pull him into a fight. He's not trying to get past him. He's grabbing him and saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. The struggle, the wrestle that Jacob experienced through his entire life that comes down to this final moment is the realization that he has that he cannot do it in his own strength, that he cannot do it by trying to clamor and get past people by himself, but rather he can only be who he needs to be. He can truly only be blessed when he grabs on to the leg of God and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I wonder this morning as a church, the struggle that we face in our life, the wrestles that we have, could they possibly be, not because God doesn't hear us, not because he doesn't love us, not because we haven't done everything that he asked us to do, not because he doesn't want to move in our life. Could it just be that we are grabbing the heel of the world we live in and saying, my kingdom, my will, rather than grabbing the heel of God and saying, I will not let you go until, unless you bless me because it's your kingdom and it's your will that I need in my life. 
See, I believe that's the struggle that symbolized, is symbolized in this chapter here. At the end of Jacob's transition from his old life to his new life is that realization that it can't be about our will and what we want. That default that we will fall into and autocorrect in our life. When we are sick, frustrated, tired, doing something we shouldn't do, distracted, rolling around in the desert, wrestling for ourselves rather than on our knees with a desperate cry out to God saying, I'm, not go- I'm going to hold on until you bless me because it's your will and your kingdom that I want in my life. It's a lesson that we can learn And this is the thought that I want us to leave with today. We have a challenge that for this week, week number 20, that you're going to get on the way out today. And it's very simple. It says, begin every day with a prayer. It says, your kingdom, your will in my life. But have you ever found how difficult that is to pray? You know, let's jump back to the start where me... I'll talk about myself. Little Adam over here wants to instruct God and tell the creator of the universe how to run my life. You know, Lord, I know that you're pretty busy solving the great problems of the world right now, but if you could just give me this job, then everything will be fine. But what if that is not God's kingdom and God's will for my life. I'm going to sit here and wonder why God never answered me. It's a great challenge and a great struggle that we face every day. Thankfully, we don't have to wrestle in the desert and get dusty. But we do have to wrestle in our spirit and in ourself every day to believe and trust God for His kingdom and His will to be done. And not to try and talk God into doing something else in our life. And the great challenge that I love when I thought about this is that when we take that time, or when we make that decision rather, to say, God, I know the situation that I'm in. I know the promise you have for my life. I know the wrestle in the desert that I'm in right now. But I'm just going to pray to you, God. That your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. Whatever that means, I'm not going to try and grab it for myself. I'm just going to trust you, your kingdom, your will be done in my life. What that does puts our trust in God. Not in our circumstances, not in the rocks that we're rolling around in. It puts all of our trust into God and says, you know my life better than I do. You know my plans. Well, you created them. You know what's best for me better than I ever have. And so I'm not going to pray in my circumstance and try and grab the heel of this world. I'm going to reach out to God, reach out to you and just say, Lord, whatever it is for my life, it's your will. It's your kingdom. In doing that, we put trust in God, which is also called faith. We put our faith in God, not in our circumstances, 
but in God the Father, the Creator. And what I love about the challenge this week is this little bit of faith that we can take and put in God by saying, I know my circumstance, I know what I think would work, but I'm just going to trust you right now, your kingdom, your will. That little bit of faith that we put in God, well, Jesus in Matthew 17 called that a mustard seed. He said that's all it takes is just a little bit of faith. You don't, you don't need a great measure of faith. You, a faith like a mustard seed can move a mountain. And let's remember those times when we find ourselves tired, sick, hurt, upset, broken, distracted, unfocused, feeling, doing something that we shouldn't be doing when we cry out to God and our life wants to auto-correct to being about us. But when we change it and call out to Him and say, just your will, your kingdom come in my life, whatever it is, God, I put my faith in you. Most of those times it's because we're facing a giant mountain in our life. So our decision is really simple. Do we want to be like Jacob and grab the heel of the world ourselves and start shoveling that mountain into a wheelbarrow, wheeling it over to the sea and tipping it into the ocean? Or do we want to be more like Israel and say, God, your will, your kingdom come in my life, therefore your mountain your mountain to deal with. Faith like a mustard seed can move an entire mountain. Autocorrect of self and not God's will in our life is a struggle of getting past that mountain in our own strength. I know which is the best option, but I know which option we too often choose. And this week, let's make it that challenge. Begin each day by grabbing that mustard seed of trust, of faith, and putting it into God and saying, your kingdom, your will, whatever that looks like, I trust you. I put my faith in you. I want us to pray for a moment. And I just, I, I feel this morning, I, that we um, we can have a moment here. We, we sung this morning that the atmosphere is changing, the miracle can happen. And my prayer, like I said about wildfire, is not just to have a gathering on a Sunday, but can we create an atmosphere here where our lives encounter God, where the Holy Spirit changes something in us, And we leave here empowered and different. And we have this struggle in our life every day. Our will or His will. Do I move the mountain or does He move the mountain? This morning, before we go, I, I want us to pray. I want us to spend some time in the presence of God. Changing the autocorrect settings in our life. Do you know the funniest thing I've ever heard one of my friends do? He changed, and I'm going to get him in trouble because his mum's in the room right now. She knows. He changes the autocorrect settings on his mum's phone. So that when she types things, 
Let's just say his name was Peter. Hypothetically. Whenever his mum types Peter into his phone, it might change to my wonderful, favourite, amazing son. Something like that. But, but it's, if his name was Peter and he's like any other Peter I know, he would, wouldn't do things that nice. But what happens in our life is that throughout our life, our settings get adjusted because of things that happen, right? We encounter things, we, things don't happen things do happen and the settings in our life and it's like the circumstances of our life go into our iPhone settings and they start adjusting the autocorrects. But the great thing about an iPhone and the great thing about this opportunity we have for the next seven minutes, if you want to stick with man's schedule, is that you can do a factory reset on your phone anytime you want. And everything just goes back to the way that the manufacturer intended it to be. And our time when we spend in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit, like we have the opportunity to do right now, if we as individuals decide to, is a moment when our settings can be reset back to the factory default of the one who manufactured them. And we might have come in here with our phone and our life auto-correcting to all this negative stuff. This will never happen to me. I've done this. I've done that. But we can walk out of here with a fresh new bunch of settings. Walk out of here with settings and with a phone and a life that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because I love this about the story of Jacob, right? Because I know that when we face times in our prayer and we want to put our faith in God, that's when we get reminded of all the reasons why we can't. You know, whether it's our own head jumping in and putting the mistakes in, the regrets, the things that we've done, whether it's our, our enemy wanting to remind us of why we can't. But there's this great little thought, Appendix A to the message today, is several hundred years later, when God declares to Moses who he needs to go and remind the people of, he, of Israel who they are. And Moses says, who will I say will sent, has sent me? God says to him, tell them I am Yahweh. I am the God of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now listen, if I was God and I wanted to be proud of someone who was remembered, I wouldn't put Jacob in there. I wouldn't say I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the deceiver, supplanter, manipulator, con man known as Jacob. I would have said Israel, the one who God fights for, the one who prevails, the one who the nation was named after. But God wants to remind the people then and us today that it doesn't matter what you have been through. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made doesn't matter the labels that you were given when you were born or any time in your life. He wants to remind you that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, not just Israel. So this moment we have right now to reset our factory settings and walk out of here, declaring that his will and his kingdom come in our life is for everybody, for the Jacobs in this room, and for those that have already wrestled through to Israel. This is the moment that we have. We're going to sing this song and we're going to believe that as we reach out to God and grab that heel right now of God and declare, you will bless me or I will not let you go, that he will come this morning, reset our settings, change our focus. 
bring us back to him. So can we stand?